Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So, Come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. What's up, Nick Batia? How's it going, brother? Good, man. How's it going? Oh, man. Welcome to the Greatness Machine, man. I'm so pumped to have you here. How's your day going today? It's going great. Thank you really for having me. I, uh, I'm excited to do this. Oh, man. So, guys, welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. And boy, do we have a special guest. My main man, Nick Batia, is in the house. Am I, am I pronouncing your last name properly? It's uh, Batia. Batia, yes. I, I, yeah. I apologize. I, I, no worries. Mershazde is a mouthful, so I always like to get last <laughs> names properly. So we got, we got Nick Batia here. And oh, my gosh, I'm so excited to have you here. Um, Nick, do you mind if I do a little bit of housekeeping and then we'll get started? Do you think? Guys, uh, those of you that are new to the show, you know that The Greatness Machine, it's about two things. We're about people who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world. And my main man, Nick, here is creating tons of tons and tons of greatness, living his passion. And we're going to be talking about that in just a second. Um, so first of all, the, how I got turned on to Nick, it's twofold. Um, I am in a group. It's an investment group called Tiger 21. You guys hear me talk about this a lot. Um, and it's it's a it's kind of like an investment group uh, for uh, individuals that, that are placing capital, and uh, I'm and and I'm in a group where everyone's buying crypto and Bitcoin and blockchain, and everyone's investing in all these different funds, and I'm, I'm just sitting here and 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 now let me just back up for a second. For those first of all, those of you guys have been following the show know that I come from the world of finance. I used to securitize billions of billions of dollars with the mortgages. Like, like, like I know finance pretty well. And so maybe about a decade ago, I had some guy that used to work for me, hit me up and asked me if I'd invest in his Bitcoin mining operation. He wanted me to invest a million bucks. And I was like, this guy's out of his fucking mind. I'm not doing that. And so <laughs> I didn't invest. And he ended up getting like a thousand Bitcoins out of it. And, and unfortunately he sold them for 20 grand a coin. Um, but, uh, or 2000 bucks a coin, I apologize. And so that was my first, like, like, like world in, into the world of Bitcoin was a shady dude trying to get me to invest in, in mining operations a decade ago. And then fast forward to, you know, 2017, I'm at the ABS conference. I talked about this many times in Miami, Florida, and I bury myself in the blockchain crypto part of this asset-backed security conference. And I come out of the conference and I go to my business partner. And I said, man, I just wish we could invest in the blockchain. Little did I know what I said. So fast forward to my, I'm at my Tiger 21 meeting about seven, eight months ago. And there's a lot of really smart people in the room. I mean, some really smart people who, this is not just the crazy dude that worked for me that's trying to get me to invest in his mining operation a decade ago. When, when and by the way, the only thing, Nick, that I knew about Bitcoin was I had friends that liked to buy stuff on the dark web and that's what they used to buy stuff. So 
<laughs> so for me, I was like, uh, yeah, this is shady. Um, but someone said, man, if, if you really want to get your head around what's happening in this world, you got to read this book called Layered Money. So this is like, I don't know, eight, nine months ago. So I order the book and like many of books in my life that sat on my shelf for a few months. And then I started reading it. And I'm going to tell you this right now, man, I love your book. Like it is such a good book. The, the, and, and I want to get into the book in just a second, in, in just a couple seconds, but after I give your bio, but, but dude, I love your book. And fast forward to about two months ago, my friend, Chris Schelling, who's one of the smartest guys I know in finance posts his favorite books of 2021. My book was on the list as well as Nick's. And right away, I, I, and you were, you were tagged in the post. So I hit up Nick and I was like, oh man, I'm reading, I'm in the middle of reading his book. I'm loving it. I would love to have you on the show. So Nick so graciously accepted and here we are. Well, <clears throat> it's my pleasure to be here and I'm thrilled that you love the book. Uh, finding readers that enjoyed Layered Money and it made an impact to their mental model is a dream come true for me. So I feel very blessed. Yeah, man, it, it's it's so I'm going to give your formal bio and then we're going to talk about the book because the book is is such a great book. And it, and it, especially, you know, the, the friend of mine that recommended this, it was multiple friends, by the way, and a lot of them are crypto heavy. They have a lot of these are people that have done really well. And they're and and so, you know, these are people that knew what they're talking about. I respected what they said. And they said, look, look this is just if you really want to get your head around what's going on, because this is I mean, and we'll talk about it, this is a monumental shift in the way the world works. Right. Like probably arguably one of the biggest of, of probably all time if if it does what it's supposed to do but you guys nick Bhatia is an adjunct prof professor of finance and business economics at the university of southern california usc marshall school of business go trojans baby uh, where he teaches applied finance and fixed income securities also financial researcher and cfa chart holder charter holder uh, he is the author of the number one bestseller layered money right here the book right in my hand from gold and dollars to Bitcoin and the central bank digital currencies. He currently writes the Bitcoin layer, a research publication on Substack. And now he's on the show to here to talk about it. So man, what a pleasure to have you here, man. I'm, I'm, I've, I've been looking forward to this for months and, and here we are. So let me ask you a question. Like, I, I mean, clearly before we get into the book, because we're going to spend a lot of time in the book, like, like what got you down this road? Like, like, I'd love to hear the origin story, you know, like, like I gave you my quick and dirty on, <laughs> and it was more dirty than quick on, on what got me in, in and out, in and out in this world. But what, what did, uh, like, how did you get into what you're into right now? Yeah. So I've always been interested in global macroeconomics and geopolitics, uh, from a very young age and, um, <clears throat> financial markets always seemed to find their way to the middle of that conversation where, you know, stocks and bond markets and currency markets are always doing what we call pricing in things. And so when markets are moving, it is uh, basically giving the information that we have in a, in one price in real time. And so my, my, my mind and my eyes were always drawn to the markets and, um, so then pursued, you know, a, a formal education and a career in finance and asset management. I particularly enjoyed interest rate math and uh, preferred it to single company analysis, let's say for stock investors. So I found my way into the fixed income world and then more specifically into the rates world. So, you know, you're from the ABS world. Um, rates is, <clears throat> it's not a credit study and it, and therefore, it's a global macro and geopolitical study. And um, I found myself right at home on a rates trading desk, trading treasury securities, other interest rate products, um, and then eventually doing some interest rate strategy as well for a large firm and, uh, you know, contributing to investment decisions. Where are rates going up or down, which means what's the economy doing? What is the Fed going to do? And, you know, the biggest picture uh, when it comes to the markets. And studying the Fed and the markets, I did end up learning a lot about monetary history and thereby gold and what gold has meant to money throughout time and how the current financial system is more of an experiment than the norm because it's really only 
the last 50 some years that we've had a monetary system with no precious metal linkage whatsoever. Right. And so the current 50 year era is the experiment. And I learned that, you know, at early in my career. And then at a certain point, I started to see the word Bitcoin and blockchain more and more across my desk. And I said, it's, it's like, you know, much like your friend, you know, I'm going to stop thinking about this as the dark web, Silk Road, what the hell is mining thing and actually learn what is Bitcoin. And so I bought a couple books because I, I like that's where I like to start when I dive down a rabbit hole. And um, <clears throat> once I read the first basically two books about Bitcoin and what was going on, I realized that Bitcoin itself was the monetary innovation that we've been waiting for. Uh, it would change the world over the next few decades. I want to be involved with it. And to take it one step further, I did experiment with let's blockchain all the things in 2016 when I was learning about it and quickly realized that while although we can and should blockchain many things or make them more distributed in nature, it has nothing to do with global macroeconomics and geopolitics, which is my area of expertise and has nothing to do with gold. And so Bitcoin is where my focus should be, needs to be. And I just went all in intellectually on Bitcoin and then eventually uh, resigned from the trading desk within about three years of reading my first Bitcoin book uh, to pursue a life of Bitcoin research, writing, speaking, teaching, um, but also keeping geopolitics and global macro right at the center because that's what Bitcoin is. It's the answer to where we are going as a world. And so I'm, I get to use my area of expertise uh, from my past life and bring it and integrate it fully into my Bitcoin study and, and research pursuit. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius from Shazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, They've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life. Canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now, I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through, but then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. 
You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. So, yeah, man, I, and I, I, love, I love that that's the angle you're taking because we've had guests on the show and I've focused much more on this, like the, the one computer, the supercomputer, the, the blockchain side of it. Um, and, 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 and this is, this is such an interesting avenue to go down the macroeconomic side. Uh, you know, for me, I, I'm, um, where you, you're from California originally, I take it. Yes. I'm born and raised in LA. In, in, in Los Angeles, uh, like County or in, uh, outside of LA County. I'm in LA County born and raised. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. I grew up in Orange County. So, so I'm, I'm, a I'm a father, fellow Southern Californian. And um, I went to UC Santa Barbara. And um, when I was going to school there, I was a business economics major. And my favorite class I took was macroeconomics, like, like, like by far, like uh, for the same reason as you like macro, which is I can see the world around me, how it's affecting the world around me. And, um, and, and, and coming from, you know, one piece of fixed income world being mortgage-backed security side of it, you know, I had to deal with it. I owned a ton of assets that were affected by the credit markets and the interest rate markets con- constantly. And so when we see the world we're coming into right now, we have, to your point, a world where it's fiat currency. It's not, you know, for the most part, it's not backed by any real asset, right? Any, you know, gold, there's no gold behind it. It's This is just based off the credit of the governments, right? We have a central bank that's out there distributing th- this currency as it sees fit, right? Based off of some logic right that that seems the 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 goalpost keeps moving <laughs> you know it's discretionary whatever you call it it's discretionary yeah yeah you know when when uh you know when when covet hit and when you know this is unprecedented they're buying assets they've never bought before i'm like i'm like that's not supposed to happen based off of, if if the past is indicative of the future then we then then it's not then the the behavior is different right and, and and look you know extreme situations cause for extreme action so i'm not against that that but to your point it's all being done on, under the foundation of a fiat currency that is essentially you're backed by the full faith and credit of these central governments right these central banks and central governments and so um here we are in this new experiment this new world and we cut Lo and behold, we have this new asset class, digital currency class. But but before we go there, I want to I want to I want to talk about what's gotten us here, right? Because I will tell you, and for those of you that have not read the book, for those of you that read the book, you're going to be like, yeah, this is a great book, and anyone you're probably re- doing what I'm doing, which, which is referring it to a ton of people that don't believe that this is real, right? Um, but for those that haven't read the book, I'm going to tell you right now. There's two parts of the book that I love, which you, you'll probably appreciate very much. Number one, you're the the first half of the book is such an amazing and and practical explanation of the history of money. Like how did money come to be? And like you use some examples around, you know, the fact that we started using paper notes because people didn't want to carry, you know, chests filled with gold coins across the sea for, to to trade spices, right? But, you know, when you started, you know, when we start thinking about where money has come from and where it's going, like, I'd love to hear your thoughts around why you think that this new invention, this new technology around digital currency, like, why is that the answer, you know, just because we've decided that we're going based off the full faith and credit of a government? Because there's a lot of full faith and credit interactions that have happened over time without actual assets behind um, transactions. Yes, the history of money is really interesting. And the reason why I decided to write a book about this concept of layered money is that what I found is, let's go to today for a second. I found people comparing Bitcoin to PayPal. And why do we need Bitcoin when we have PayPal and Venmo? And that was 
uh, such an inaccurate comparison that it actually triggered me into writing this book to explain that money is layered in nature because we don't all use the same type of money all the time. And the type of money that we use depends on who issued it and what balance sheet it originates from. So people using Venmo are using PayPal's balance sheet. People using their checking account and writing checks are using Wells Fargo's balance sheet. People that are using Benjamin's and Lincoln's and Washington's in their pocket are using the Federal Reserve's balance sheet. Um, people that are using Tether to trade Bitcoin, let's say, are using Tether's balance sheet. And so all of these balance sheets are capable of issuing dollar types. Even Barclays and BNP Paribas and Europe, all these European banks issue dollars as well. So we have all these different dollar types. They're ordered in their hierarchy, but it's not a common, uh, it's not common knowledge at all that these different money types have an order to them. And so that's why I introduced first layer money, second layer money, and third layer money to describe to people that when they're using cash, paper money, or their checking account, or Venmo, or the Fed is doing QE with treasuries, that those are all happening on different layers of money. And that gold existed on the first layer of money and uh, for, for hundreds and hundreds of years with other sort of paper money and checking account money, deposit money being issued on the second and third layer using gold as its first layer. Now, today without gold, we don't have a first layer money that is globally accepted as a commodity. The only money that we consider global money now at that first layer is government debt, US treasuries, German boons, UK gilts, Japanese government bonds, etc. And so Bitcoin is an innovation because it's a new commodity. There is no balance sheet involved. There's no central issuer where it comes from. There is a commodity-like origination process that the creator, Satoshi Nakamoto, specifically referenced in his original white paper. He said, uh, he or they, or we don't know who Satoshi is, said, the Bitcoin mining process is akin to the gold mining process in which it requires work, energy to dig this stuff out of the ground or originate it electronically or digitally. So that's why I wrote the book. You explain, you have to explain that gold existed as a first layer money for, I tell the story of about 800 years and that Bitcoin as a new commodity can mimic the gold system that we had for centuries and have a commodity issued, uh, I mean, sorry, a commodity exist on the first layer money with a whole monetary system existing uh, underneath it. And so it, it, it wasn't, it was more than an article that needed to be written to explain this. And so I have all these readers will know, I have all these pyramid graphics throughout the book to show what the layers of money have looked like throughout time and why potentially Bitcoin will exist on the first layer of money in the future. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So when you start thinking about Bitcoin, and 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 I guess you know one of my hesitancies around, and I actually don't own any Bitcoin yet, um, was more around. There, there's a couple. I have a couple concerns, um, and you, you write a little bit about it in your book around Tulip, right? The Tulip mania that happened in um, in Amsterdam, but 
my my biggest concerns with it number one was how do you price it right because there's and 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 like anything when you see something go up you know 10x in one year there's no you know the perception that i cannot underwrite the value of it right because this is it's a microeconomic uh you know in event that's that's creating the pricing as of today right the demand's outstripping supply by a, a large magnitude price goes up and then it goes the other way and we've just seen that happen right now where bitcoin dropped 45% in value in the past you know 90 days and so for me i didn't like the price volatility of it i'm like look i'm paying a lot of money for this thing i don't know what it's worth i don't understand it i have to have a, a set it and forget it mentality if i think that this is the future and i don't know if it's the future so i'm just gonna like watch it and so one of my questions for you is how do you you know reconcile in your head around what is the value of this or is it is it more of just an academic exercise of no this is a new technology that really is an overall on what what is the what is going to i guess commodity or excuse me uh collateralize our layer one right because if right now layer one is just the stroke of the pen of the united states government which it kind of is right then yes. then what then what makes this become the new layer one and and because you need mass adoption and you need and i guess my second question is is and this has been my big, big argument around this is I'm like, do you think the U.S. is going to go down fighting or go down, like, just give it up? They're going to go down fighting. Like, we saw this in the early 30s where they banned, made gold holding illegal. You know, I got to assume the minute this is a real threat that the federal, you know, the central banks, the federal governments, the, you know, all these different, you know, folks who have a vested interest in this not happening, because what we're really talking about is a redistribution of power they're going to make this really hard. So that's my two, uh, and I know those are kind of muddled questions, but what are your thoughts around that? Yes, uh, so let's start with your second question. The, you would think that, you know, as Bitcoin rises, it poses a threat and governments will say, no, this is not gonna happen here. But let's actually look at what has happened in the United States. And I don't wanna equate Europe and the ECB with what's going on here because, um, they might appear to be similar uh, cultures, but they're not. Americans, let's think about United States for a second. 2014, IRS came out and said, we view it as property. So if you're going to sell it, you have to pay a capital gains tax on it. 2000 and, um, 2015, the CFTC, our commodities regulator, comes out and says, this is a virtual commodity that we have opening the door for the CME in 2017 to launch the first Bitcoin futures product. Then in 2021, we have the OCC, which is a part of the US Treasury Department, ruling that banks can hold Bitcoin on behalf of their customers as a depository instrument. And then you have the SEC, uh, approving a Bitcoin futures ETF. And you have Coinbase IPOing in New York. So if you objectively look at what's happening in the United States, it is the biggest green light to Bitcoin that I've ever seen. I mean, you really have to objectively look at the rulings that have come out of each part of the government. Because as we know, the United States, it's not just one entity. It's a distributed system of local, state, and federal governments, agencies across the judicial, executive, and legislative branch. So we have portions of every pocket of the government, of the bureaucracy, approving and greenlighting Bitcoin, while at the same time you have politicians that are maybe critical, want to introduce legislation to introduce uh, you know, tax burdens or excessive tax implications for Bitcoin holders, potentially bans, but it's really not that in the US. And so I would really encourage you to, instead of fear what the US is going to do to Bitcoin as it's getting powerful, look at Bitcoin reaching a trillion dollars in market value and then getting the IPO approved for Coinbase, it trade start trading public, and then the SEC approves the futures ETF and Fidelity is filing and you know 
You have all these mega companies now that are basically introducing Bitcoin products. JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs are trading. So this idea that the U.S. is going to do anything to do with the word ban and Bitcoin is, I think, very misfounded. Now, the Russian uh, finance minister uh, last week said something that was brilliant, I think. He said, if we, if we are going to ban cryptocurrency, we have to ban the Internet and we are not China. And it's it's beautifully said because it's it truly is, you know, you can introduce this uh, tax burden on Bitcoiners and uh, and all that. But we haven't seen so in 14 years. And I and especially with gridlock in D.C., you're not going to see anything like that for another two, three years. And Bitcoin just continues to grow and grow on its own. Um, so that would be my response to the regulatory question. And then to go back to, you know, what's the value? You're, you're right. It's impossible to price this thing. We don't really know. It's unprecedented. So we don't have PE ratios or anything like that to or cash flows, right? Bitcoin doesn't have cash flow. So you can't do a discounted cash flow model. There's no traditional way to value this asset. So how do I value it? There are really, let's say, three, three ways to approach this valuation. Um, and it gives us an idea of maybe where it's going over the longer term. Number one is um, the amount of gold that exists on the planet today. It's approximately $10, $11 trillion worth of gold. I think that over a longer ter term time horizon, Bitcoin can represent the same amount of value that gold does on this planet because it's a digital version of gold. And it's okay. very most basic and that would put bitcoin at about five to six hundred thousand dollars per bitcoin because you know 500k times 20 million coins equals 10 trillion dollars so that's where we get a five hundred thousand dollar price five hundred thousand dollar price puts bit puts bitcoin as a network at the same size of gold as a, a store of value on the planet so that's where i think bitcoin is going i wrote that in the book basically it was my one price prediction is that I think Bitcoin will eventually eclipse gold and, and trade above $500,000. I don't have a time horizon on that in the book because it's a fool's errand trying to guess when that happens. Uh, the second thing, and this is what made me kind of fall in love with Bitcoin itself, is understanding that the mining computational uh, energy that goes into creating Bitcoin is value itself because it does two things it um secures the network from attack it, it it keeps it neutral and it also um makes the origination of bitcoin more and more difficult as time goes by creating that true digital scarcity that has never existed we've never been able to uh, like lock a PDF and, and encrypt a PDF and send it. And that file is the only file time it'll ever exist. Um, it's just physically not possible uh, pre prior to Bitcoin to uh, you know, make something that you can't copy and paste in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And that's what Bitcoin has achieved. So from the mining side, how much money do you have to spend on electricity to create Bitcoin is a cost basis, like how much money it costs for miners to dig one ounce of gold out of the ground. And then the price of gold, that's their profit margin. But one side of that is the cost basis. So the mining cost basis is another component. And then the third and final component, which is part of this relatively newer study we call on-chain analytics. It's using the data of Bitcoin's blockchain to uh, basically deduce information about it. What we can see is that the realized cost basis of Bitcoin can be calculated by looking at when money moves on the Bitcoin blockchain itself and valuing the price, dollar price at, at that time. Because we know that the exchange price represents what people are willing to buy and sell Bitcoin for on the exchange. But right. it doesn't necessarily represent what people are willing to buy and sell Bitcoin 
physically settling on the blockchain for. And that is called realized market cap or realized value. That is trading somewhere around $25,000 today uh, or at about, um, I think it's about $450 billion in total market cap. Bitcoin's current market cap is, um, or sorry, in realized cap. Bitcoin's current market cap is around uh, three quarters of a trillion right now, about 700 and something trillion. So we're trading at about a one and a half ratio of market value to realized value using this cost basis uh, metric. Uh, so you have the, the gold as the long-term, the mining cost basis, and then the uh, traders cost basis as three ways that uh, we can think about Bitcoin's value short-term medium term and long term so when you look at the when so going to the third the third um methodology that's the cost in which someone mines it and puts it on the on well, that's the second one's the cost of mining the third one explain that one more time because i because because i think that that's that's very very re relevant because obviously if, if it, i mean what when we look at the second version the first one i get right that there's 11 trillion dollars worth of value in gold and and let's just say there's a three to five percent appreciation maybe that you know turns into 30 trillion you know 30 years from now and and this and this if this replaces gold or or mirrors gold maybe it's half 50 percent of the store value goes to gold 50 percent to, to bitcoin I, I can i can see that argument and people like Dalio who are investing in it are saying, yeah, this is a digital gold, right? There's getting, there's getting real credence around that because it's a store of value and how it's created. But going back to these other ways, which I like this because I'm, I'm a real estate guy. So there's a cost basis in creating real estate, cost you actual money to replacement cost to create the thing. When we start looking at the actual cost to create for me to, if, if I said, Hey, Nick, I got this, I got a, 2000 square foot warehouse filled with computers. I'm just going to mine Bitcoin. What does it actually cost those guys right now to create one Bitcoin? So it, it, it varies greatly depending on what your, your variable input cost is, which is the electricity. And yeah, so like, the machine like low and high, give me, cause I get it. If I, if I'm close to the circuit and I'm in, and I'm in a place with really, lo really low electrical costs, I live in Austin, Texas. So there's people here like literally doing deals so they can get really low electrical costs. So give me like a range on that. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm not the best to give you this range right now, but I know that people are mining Bitcoin for as low as $3,000 um, per Bitcoin to mine it. And um, it's going to be as high as 50 or more, depending, you know, if you go to places where it's and so you'll be underwater on your Bitcoin, uh, basically. So there's ways to, you know, there are places to mine it very profitably. And there are places that you will be unprofitable in mining. And so we see that we're witnessing the energy arbitrage happening right now. That's probably a, it's another book, you know, let alone another show to think about what's happening in in Texas and in, in Canada, in, in the Nordic part of Europe, um, China itself with the hydro and, you know, elsewhere in the world, uh, El Salvador with the geothermal and volcanoes. Um, so there's, uh, like a million different ways to mine Bitcoin and it really is going to depend where you are. Interesting. Okay. So, so that's a pretty wide spectrum, which, which, yes. which gives us a nice distribution of costs, right? To, to well, and think about the volatility. This is why nobody knows what to price it at today and why it's so volatile. Because one person's input is 3,000, another person has an input of 60,000, um, and it, no one knows where to price it. No one knows what miner is going to face uh, you know, a renewal on their lease and have to prepay the next one year of rent and dump Bitcoin onto the market to do it. You don't know. It's a very young market. Right. We do know, I do appreciate that you recognize the cost basis nature of it. It is something that is very fundamental about Bitcoin. It, it costs electricity and machines and land and potentially political influence to, to mine and create that Bitcoin. 
Right. And, 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 and I would assume, and, and, and it's, it's interesting when we think of it like that. And cause I always think of like, what is it cost? What's your, what's your cog, right? Is if we're going to manufacture something, right. We can do it with gold to a certain degree or oil, like, you know, there's wildcatting and there's these ideas of they can price in that risk and assign a value to it and say, okay, well, this is what we could sell it at and probably make money. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, to your point, this it being a young market, there's the price volatility is represented that. And, and I hadn't thought of that. So th- the third way though, when we talk about putting it on the blockchain itself, yeah, walk us through that. Let me, yeah, let me explain that. And I would, uh, I would point um, listeners to the recent article. I wrote about this on Substack. Um, when I, I, I said the, the title of the article is uh, the four year cycle is dead. Long live Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> what it's trying to explain is we there are there's this whole range now of metrics right we if you think about if you're a stock person you think about you have p you have price to earnings you have so you have earnings you have sales you have book value you have enterprise value you have ebitda you have all these metrics then you have um you know margins and you have operating margins net margins you have all these metrics and it's basically something divided by something else or something divided times right. something else, right? And so now in Bitcoin, we have a lot of metrics, okay? And it's basically, you know, something times something else. That's all it is. It's using the data that we have. Bitcoin is a software and anybody who has the software can see balances moving from point A to point B on the blockchain itself that movement of people actually sending bitcoin to each other or to their exchange or withdrawing from their exchange is visible at least in its amount and its timing to everyone that is the nature of bitcoin's blockchain it is open uh software that anyone can access now if people are buying and selling bitcoin on an exchange let's call it uh binance the average person isn't going to be able to see that trade, you know, what's going on in that trade book. That's proprietary information that Binance has in their order book. So going back to the blockchain, when money moves, when Bitcoin moves on the blockchain, there is a metric called realized value or realized price that assigns the dollar price today to that movement. And therefore, it represents the trader's cost basis, the owner's cost basis, or in Bitcoin terms, the hodler's cost basis to owning that Bitcoin. And why is that important? Because Bitcoin is not PayPal or Google. It's not just some. Uh, it's not just some payments network. It is. It is ascribed this store of value digital gold narrative by millions upon millions of people in different parts of the world where they have decided, I'm one of them, that a portion of my savings wealth, it's going to find a home in Bitcoin and stay there. And that's my cost basis. And I'm not going to, I'm not gonna sell into the market um, especially ab- like, you know, as uh, the Bitcoin price chops around above my cost basis, I'm not just going to go out and, and dump my coins back onto the market today. So the realized cost basis of Bitcoin holders all around the world is a mm-hmm. very slow, slow, slow moving. Got value. it. All right. And so if you look at the long-term realized value of Bitcoin, it's basically this slow march up to right now about $25,000. It's never really gone above 26, 20, it's declined a little bit, but it's never gone above $30,000. And so you have the, my articles about the ratio of market value to realized value. It's called MVRV. It's gotten as high as five where that, that would put, Bitcoin today at $125,000 if we had a ratio of five. And right. if it traded to one, you would be at 25K Bitcoin. And if it traded to 0.8, which it has in deep bear markets, you'd be at $20,000 Bitcoin today. 
Got it. So that realized value gives me a great anchor in valuation because I can say, oh, it goes from 60 to 30. Well, it just went from, you know, two and a half MVRV to one, you know, not that big of a deal in the big picture. But yes, it does mean we're in a bear market because trading at one means there's not really that speculation fluff price on top of Bitcoin and the market is not hot. It's the opposite of hot. So yeah, um, I hope that I hope that is a little bit more helpful. I, it's, it's not an easy it's not an easy thing to describe. And I've had readers reach out to me and say, "I'm I still don't understand what you're talking about." I, I, can I can I say it in my own wor- words? I, are you have you ever heard of Gallup Strength Finder? You know what that is? No, please uh, tell it, me. It's it's so Gallup Strength Finder is like what your talents are. My number two is communication. So I always have to say things in my own words. So what I heard you just say is. The average price that people have bought it at, at is around 25K. And so they're not going to sell it for less than that because that's what they bought it for. That is a very, very uh, simple way of putting uh, this idea that MVRV does not trade below one that often. And when it does, it pops back above it. Which and makes so, sense because you're yeah. only going to sell under duress. And that, I mean, it could drop, be driven below that if people are selling uh, under duress or there's, or there's a market movement and you have people that. Or extreme fear. Which yeah, or is extreme important. fear, right? Which, which, listen, assets trade under, under, under basic cost basis all the time, right? So you could have an event where they're trading at a half of MVRV, right? Or 50%. If, uh, tra- is that likely? It's probably a three or five, six sigma or a sigma event, right? Like that's not, that's not likely to happen. Right. But but yeah, no, it's a great it's a great data point that if the average price is everyone paid for these things is X, they're probably not going to sell it if they're going to get less than X unless they unless they have to sell it. Right. And we see that in real estate a lot where when we hit these bear markets in real estate, the inventory just stops trading because the only people that sell are the ones that have to sell it. You know, if I bought my house for a million bucks and they're trading at 500K. I'm just going to sit it out. I'm like, oh, it sucks. But I'm not going to be like, oh, I got to sell my house now. I'm just going to take a half a million dollar bath. The reality is I'm going to say like, nope, I'm going to sit. I live in my house. I'm, or unless, I'm not going to sell unless I have to sell. So that that's a really interesting data point. And it actually makes me feel more comfortable to, to, to try to dip my toe in the water and buy some of it. Um, man, this is, uh, this is, uh, I'm literally, I was looking forward to this conversation for all these reasons and then some, um, <laughs> so let me ask you a question. Um, right now we have, I think I looked yesterday, there's like 17,000 cryptocurrencies out there, right? I have, I have a, a friend who's been on the show and he's created his own and, and I, and I, I was joking around my brother that we should create some, I was going to name like three cryptocurrencies based off of old slang for dollars like clams and ducats and <laughs> i'm gonna have the ducat coin or the simoleon coin uh you know just like all these like slang words uh, like cabbage <laughs> so uh lettuce lettuce coin um but no seriously though um you know we see all these cryptocurrencies or we see the advent of nfts and they're all kind of derived off the same idea of digital assets right and you know, Gary Vaynerchuk says, you know, 99% of these, you know, NFTs are going to zero. And I kind of have the same belief around a lot of these cryptos that are, that are, that are popping up that do not have an actual blockchain utility value. When I, when I see a, like a Dogecoin, I bought some Shiba Inu for fun, right? I bought like a hundred dollars worth. And it's a still, I've, I've actually, it's the, oh, this is kind of funny. The only cryptocurrency I bought that's not upside down right now is my Shiba Inu. Because <laughs> I bought it for so cheap. I bought it like $40 worth. It's worth like a hundred bucks. But um, but yeah, like when you start looking at all these other currencies, I know you talk about in your book that, you know, these are copycat currencies and they're mimicking, you know, bl- blockchain has legitimacy around it in that it is a real store. It is perceived to be, at least at this point, and has the the underpinnings of being a digital gold. Ethereum is, you know, our first real adoption of a blockchain, right? Outside of that, everyone's it's it's a race to like to say who's going to be that that you know who's going to be the mass adoption around either the blockchain and or is there going to be a competitor to Bitcoin? What are your thoughts around these other currencies that are coming up or or how that that plays out? Yeah, I I find myself. Um... I find it I find it fascinating that uh, the conversation around um, altcoins 
continues to follow uh, this same idea that Bitcoin might be the MySpace, right? It might be just the first iteration and that we'll get a better iteration. But it is really failing to recognize the mining economics. And that I think is the, it's the most important thing by far because I'll go back to a word that I use in the book. To summarize Bitcoin, the best single word is neutral. And the neutrality comes from the fact that there is so much mining energy dedicated to the network from different parts of the world and from different computing networks, different warehouses of miners and different actors. And that it, decentralization of mining power and the, the sheer quantity of mining power, it's now basically a small nation electricity consumption, the Bitcoin network, which is not a bad thing. It's not going to boil the oceans. It is going to give 7 billion people the opportunity to be on a level playing field when it comes to money, where the rules are well-established, transparent for everyone, never changing, permanent, and uh, not controlled by any central party or government. And every single cryptocurrency, and I would throw Ethereum into that as well, has a center or an issuer or some way for a government or it to be shut down for them to be subpoenaed um, for um, a government to come in and attack the network from an energy perspective, dedicating the energy that would be required to break the network. And so when you look at, there's a great uh, website, how many confirms it's basically a website that shows how many block, how, how much time would it take for other cryptocurrencies to dedicate the same amount, amount of energy uh, to securing the network relative to Bitcoin. And you basically see it mimicking the market value distribution where Bitcoin's at like 750 billion, right? And so, um, you know, fifth, sixth place is going to be at se 7 billion, like uh, one one hundredth the size. Right. And the mining mimics that where it's one one hundred and Ethereum is not right. It's it's kind of uh, close to being in that one third area, just like the market value. But you get down to five, six, and now you're literally talking about one one hundredth the energy. And so how much more possible is it for a government to come in and shut down that network with just turning on one warehouse? It It's way more likely than a hundred times. It becomes 10,000 times more likely. And so forget about crypto ranked 25 or a hundred down the list. And, and I'm not saying that cryptocurrencies will fail to exist, or I'm one of those people that just, I'm, I'm price is truth. That's my favorite saying. The price is the truth. There are hundreds of coins worth over, uh, you know, a hundred million dollars in total market value. And there's, I think it's above a hundred coins worth above a billion dollars. Wow. That is telling you that there is an appetite for shit coins everywhere you look and enough appetite to keep market value alive and well into the future. So who am I to say that they'll cease to exist? No, but the discrepancy between Bitcoin and everything else is is so pronounced that once you get into mining economics once you get into the game theory of what a neutral currency really represents for the planet you stop thinking about other cryptocurrencies and i understand that ethereum has a lot of market value but i think of it more as an operating system and can't really uh besides the cost basis because ethereum has a cost basis can't really ascribe um any value to it outside of the fact that people have ascribed money, you know, um, monetary value to it and they have a cost basis and that cost basis is where it is, um, you know, in, in value terms. So, uh, you know, I hope that gets into a little bit of what you're asking, but I just, it is why I 
only mention Bitcoin in my book and don't mention anything else by name. It's why my publication is called The Bitcoin Layer, because um, I really do feel that this, uh, the difference in Bitcoin and everything else is so pronounced um, that from the geopolitical perspective and a global macro perspective, nothing else is worthy of my attention at the moment. And I wrote something at, on my Substack called Bitcoin and crypto aren't the same, where I go through some of these points uh, for the readers. I love that, man. And, and we'll be and promoting- Bitcoin and crypto aren't the same. Let me just say what, real quickly. It was, I started it as a paid post for my paid subscribers, but I've since made it free. And there's a ton of free content on my Substack um, as well as the paid content. So I really hope people will go sign up. Yeah, I, I want to um, promote, um, and we'll promote the the Substack and where they can get get a hold of the book, as well as connect with you for um, for more information on all the stuff that you're doing in the world of Bitcoin. Um, I'm gonna I, we got time for one more question. So I, I you know the, the the question that's been racking my brain, and I and I don't know if you have any thoughts around this, but you know I I I had a guy on the show and Jeff Booth, who 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 wrote. Do you know Jeff? Yes, I do. Yeah, so I read Jeff, his book. Yeah, yeah. So his book, it's a it's a bit of a doomsday book around you know what's happening from you know essentially that Moore's law is increasing the speed of technology and the speed of technology is increasing exponentially and because of that we're we got some really hard times ahead of us. Um, I I told him at the end of the show I'm like um I, you just made me sick like not want to eat my lunch like I have like like my stomach's turning right now right I felt uncomfortable and I and I asked him I said well where where does one invest their money and he's like you know, essentially asymmetric, you know, VC tech bets and Bitcoin. Those were his thoughts. But, but, you know, one of my thoughts, you know, my big question, I left that conversation. I went and talked to a really good friend of mine who I trust and respect. And, you know, his thing's like, listen, man, you know, the, the you know, the U S dollar is omnipresent. It's everywhere. It's like, you know, you talk about it in your book when we start talking about how like the Euro dollars, you know, came out of the U S dollar and that we're the reserve currency and and even when we were talking about when you were talking earlier about interest rates studying interest rates my joke with my business partners it's like yeah the tallest midget in the room right it's it's like the us is the tallest midget in the room and what i mean when you start to think of what needs to happen for there to be a, a new reserve currency it, it, like i can't like i try to wrap my head around it and all i see is like doomsday stuff i see like really really hard times for that to get created um how do you see a transition? Is it that the central governments are forced to adopt a Bitcoin-backed dollar? What do you? What is yeah. your vision of that transformation? No, um, this is something that I'm writing about a lot right now and thinking about the second book from these from this perspective. Bitcoin adoption so far in its 13 years happens at the margin. And at the margin, each person that adopts it most likely is adopting it as a parallel denomination to whatever their home currency is, where they they pretty much still think in dollars, but they're like, I'm going to keep this Bitcoin. And then I'm going to start thinking in Bitcoin because I want to add to my position. And um, then the Bitcoin goes up in price and then that becomes their dual denomination mentality becomes more prevalent in their mind. So you start with the Silk Road, then you go to the end the Fed people, then you go to Argentina, then you go to Turkey, then you go to the Canadian truckers, and then you go to El Salvador, and then you go to Nigeria, and then you go to... Um, you know, back to the United States and people that are concerned about X, Y, Z. And, and then you go to tech world that gets excited about the technology now, finally, after all these marginal use cases. And each one of the marginal adopters thinks in terms of Bitcoin a little bit and then a little bit more as time goes by and they increase the size of their position. And then eventually what you have is a billion people around the world that are thinking at least somewhat in Bitcoin. And that's how we, that's how we see Bitcoin evolve 
as a reserve currency where not not every country is going to go El Salvador and just make it legal tender. But Russia is now going to make Bitcoin um, a currency, making it, it basically letting people dual denominate and then corporations will start to dual denominate and then countries will start to dual denominate. And uh, it won't be banned in the United States. So many Americans and American corporations, by the way, we have mining companies in the United States publicly traded now, giving the international capital markets access to Bitcoin at its cost basis through the American property right protection system that we have here. All of that contributes to a mental dual denomination. And it is also why, Darius, that we are not going to see this happening in three years, five years, even 10. It is going to take a really long time to get to 2 billion people that have at least partially mentally denominated themselves in Bitcoin, at which point it probably eclipses the dollar as the most prevalent mental denomination and pricing mechanism on the internet. Like somewhere along that path, by the way, all prices on the internet go to Bitcoin, mm. by the way. Your, your McDonald's in LA won't be in Bitcoin, but um, you know all online businesses that have any international component will all be priced in Bitcoin. So how, and be honest with yourself, how far are we away from that? Very far. Yeah, yeah it, right? I, I would say a couple decades. Right. And so, you know, I would say less than a couple decades, but again, we're talking in decades. And so, you know, my answer to your question is this, you know, dual den denomination uh, evolution, but over a very long term time horizon. And um, I and I think that that's evidenced by Bitcoin's waves. It, 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 it gains adopters and a lot of market value, then crashes in market value and adoption levels off and then it picks up again so realized value is a great way to visualize that uh, to be honest with you it's one of the reasons i love that metric yeah that's man this is so helpful and so informative and i'm so excited for all the stuff that you're working on right now so i unfortunately we're out of time and i i was like i could go th three hours with you talking about this um <laughs> so look um layered money is the number one bestseller I, I'm, I'm telling you this book's awesome for anyone that's that's a newbie that uh, like there. I mean, you had two finance guys on this on the show talking numbers, so maybe it, it might be a little bit uh, overwhelming for some folks. But I will tell you this: I love your book simply for for folks that don't feel comfortable with this topic. Just the explanation of how the layers of money work, the history of it, really sets the precedence for for what this technology is and can be. So obviously, people can go out there and buy that. I'm guessing where all books are sold. Is that correct? Absolutely. It's on Amazon, uh, everywhere that books are sold. Um, and uh, everyone can find um, all the links to my Substack, my Twitter, the Amazon links, the Audible, the audiobook has been very popular as well um, at layeredmoney.com. Very easy. Layeredmoney.com has all of my links. And uh, I hope that you guys will check out the book and sign up for my Substack, which is all the link is also there at layeredmoney.com. Guys, what what a treat to have Nick here! I'm so grateful that um, we got listed as the two of Chris's favorite books for the year. Um, I'll send you a copy of my book. You can check it out. It's it's a core value. It's called the Core Value Equation, which is all about how the world needs more core value driven organizations, which which aligns with with this whole idea of we're, we're of having control around money. But so that's at least one of my core values. Um, <laughs> so guys, um, man, what a great show uh layeredmoney.com is where people can hook up with you hook up on your sub stack and i'm so excited for all the things that you're doing in the world my friend thank you so much for being on the show nick so grateful to have you here thanks a lot man i appreciate it all right you guys we'll talk to you guys soon we got way more shows coming up and um very appreciative to have nick as uh, a greatness machine uh alumni now thanks for thanks for having you here nick take care guys peace out You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. 
leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode, you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.